Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Planet Logic. I'm Lynn Woolley, the Secretary of Logic, the pilot of the podcast, and the man without whom logic wouldn't be nearly so logical if we didn't really work to make it that way. We're glad to have you along. Today's episode is entitled Bending Over Backward for the Bidens. And I want to give you all the latest in the Trump impeachment situation, and we will certainly get into the Biden situation with regard to the media, which is acting so bizarrely in this particular case that it's hard to figure out where they're coming from, except they are left-wing media, and that's about all you can say about it. I was watching out front with Erin Burnett the other night, and it was absolutely struck by the fact that when she had somebody on that, that wanted to defend Trump in any form or fashion in this impeachment situation, and that person would mention the Bidens, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, the Ukraine deal, Burisma, the whole situation over there with Hunter Biden making $50,000 and up a month for sitting on a board about which he had absolutely no knowledge while his father was vice president. And Aaron Burnett, with that typical Aaron Burnett smirk that has now become her trademark anytime it's something about Trump, that's all been adjudicated, there's nothing there, there's no there there. And the person she was interviewing, and I don't remember who it was, would come back and say, but look, this was at least a conflict. And at that point, Burnett is in there. Aaron Burnett is in there saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you say that. You can't say that. So on CNN, the Chicken Noodle Network, the current narrative network, whatever CNN stands for these days, it certainly does not stand for having both sides air their their particular version of this, you know, speak their truth, as Oprah would say, because the the Trump side of this story is not worth reporting on if you're on CNN. I admit I don't watch MSNBC. That network drives me to the point of craziness, and I just can't watch it at all. Latest story, following what the AP is writing, Lisa Mascaro, Mary Jane Jelanik and Jonathan Lemire, these are the three blind mice of the Associated Press, uh, talk about the administration setting a defiant tone. Guess what we found out now? We found out that one of the people who was observing the phone call to the Ukrainian president that has got us all in this situation right now was, was one Mike Pompeo, current Secretary of State of the United States of America. And so now that makes Pompeo a fact witness in this thing. You know what that means? That means that he was there. It wouldn't be hearsay if Pompeo were to testify about all this. But Pompeo and the rest of the administration has set a defiant tone. The Trump administration, according to Mascaro and Jelanik and Lemire, defying and resisting Congress access to impeachment witnesses even as House Democrats warn that such efforts themselves could amount to an impeachable offense. Now, this is rich coming from Democrats. I'm going to skip ahead in this story and get to one little piece part of it here. Democrats often note that obstruction was one of the impeachment articles against Richard Nixon, who resigned the presidency in 1974 in the face of almost certain impeachment. So they bring up Nixon, but they do not bring up Clinton. Remember, Andrew Johnson 
Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton have all been threatened with impeachment. Trump is number four there. I remember a parody that, uh, remember the old song, Try to Remember the Kind of September. The parody went, I don't remember. By the way, this was a Hillary Clinton sound-alike doing this, this parody. I can't remember. My brain's in a blender. Remember the, the Rose Law Firm billing records that went missing and Hillary Clinton's, I don't know where they are, and then they, when it was advantageous to the Clintons, the, 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 billing, firm, the billing records turned up. So this is amazing. The Democrats want to take the eight years of Bill Clinton, the impeachment of Bill Clinton, the suicide of Vince Foster, the missing billing records, the White House travel office, selling secrets to the Chinese, coffee clatches at the White House, Al Gore's no controlling legal authority, and Whitewater on and on and on, right up to the last day where the Clintons were still selling pardons and throw all that out the window. As we told you on yesterday's podcast, they're hypocrites because they don't want to investigate Hillary Clinton's server. They don't want to investigate Hunter Biden sitting on that, on that, uh, that board and making $50,000 a month, probably for doing nothing. Kind of similar to Michelle Obama being on that hospital board in Chicago and doing nothing but making a big salary. So the other breaking stories from yesterday, Secretary of State Pompeo, tried to delay five current and former officials from providing documents and testimony in the impeachment inquiry that could lead to charges against President Trump. Democrats set closed-door depositions for this week for former special envoy to the Ukraine, or to Ukraine, uh, Kurt Volker, and next week for ousted U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. In a Tuesday evening tweet, Trump cast the impeachment inquiry as a coup intended to take away the power of the people. Actually, a, a coup is typically a military takeover. This is what we would refer to in conservative circles, at least, as a soft coup. There's no guns being fired. Nobody's storming the Oval Office. Nobody's taking Donald Trump out in handcuffs and chains. But yet it is still an attempt at wresting power away from him, and that is a soft coup. Pompeo said the Democrats were trying to intimidate and bully the career officials into appearing and claimed it would be not feasible, as demanded. Meanwhile, uh, as we find out that Pompeo was one of the listeners in Trump's July phone call with Ukrainian leader Volodymyr Zelensky, that helped trigger the impeachment inquiry. Now the Democrats are going to make Pompeo a central figure in that, in this, and perhaps he should be. And by the way, I'm a big fan of Mike Pompeo. I think the guy is well-spoken. I think he thinks on his feet pretty well. I think if he's in a, whether it's telecast or not, but in some kind of a hearing with the Democrats, I think he could hold his own very well, put this back on them. Meanwhile, here's a quote from this AP story. And it comes from three House chairmen, Adam Schiff, Elliot Engel, and Elijah Cummings. Any effort to intimidate witnesses or prevent them from talking with Congress, including State Department employees, is illegal and will constitute evidence of obstruction of the impeachment inquiry, they said. Isn't that something? They said that if he was on Trump's call, Secretary Pompeo is now a fact witness in the House impeachment inquiry, and they warned he should immediately cease intimidating department witnesses in order to protect himself. And the thing that that brings to mind to me, and we talked about this a little bit already on this particular podcast on our episode entitled Hippocrats on the Hill, 
that Schiff himself is a fact witness, not because he's been anywhere or seen anything or actually knows anything, but because Schiff has gone on television, particularly MSNBC, NBC, CBS, and CNN, over and over to say that he has or had seen evidence of collusion between Trump and the Russians. If, if Schiff has seen evidence, he therefore must know who has that evidence, where that evidence is. Therefore, he should be called as a fact witness. Now, as we talk about this whole idea of bending over backward for the Bidens, which is which I, I, I got my first taste of it, as I said a moment ago, watching Out Front with Aaron Burnett, but it is pervasive. It's everywhere. I want to talk about that a little bit more because Jake Tapper has come back to that as well. But there's a Cal Thomas piece out today that I think is interesting, talking about a New York Times report that the whistleblower is a CIA agent who was on loan to the White House. And then you look at the, the text, which some people have seen, of the whistleblower complaint, and it looks very polished, and it looks almost professorial, like a college professor wrote it. According to Thomas, who uh, read a piece by Fred Fleets, F-L-E-I-T-Z, might be flights, president of the Center for Security Policy. That's a conservative Washington, D.C.-based think tank. Uh, I'll say flights. He's a former deputy assistant to President Trump and to the chief of staff of the National Security Council. And here's what he said in the Post. Quote, I am very familiar with transcripts of presidential phone calls since I edited and processed dozens of them when I worked for the NSC. I also know a lot about intelligence whistleblowers from my time with the CIA. My suspicions grew when I saw the declassified whistleblower complaint. It appears to be written by a law professor. It includes legal references and detailed footnotes. It also has an unusual legalistic reference on how this complaint should be classified. From my experience, such an extremely polished whistleblowing complaint is unheard of. This document looks as if this leaker had outside help possibly from congressional members or staff. If congressional members or staff is involved in that, who would that be? Let's go, uh, wait a minute. Who did we mention earlier? There are three committee chairmen, Adam Schiff. You know he would be in on this. Gerald Nadler might be in on it too. And then Elliot Engel of Foreign Affairs and Elijah Cummings of Oversight. Wouldn't put it past any of those guys to be a part of this situation and, and, and sort of trying to ratchet this up. By, by essentially faking a whistleblower complaint. If these guys wrote that complaint, or if they found a left-wing law professor, think Lawrence Tribe or somebody like that, to write this complaint, uh, this is almost treason against the United States, and it does constitute a soft coup. Now, to Mark Thiessen, uh, whose writings I'm following fairly closely, uh, he's talking about the fact that he, as I, do not believe that Trump should have brought this thing up in the call to Zelensky. It, it was not prudent. wasn't something Trump should have done. But I understand why he did it. I sympathize with why Trump did it. He believes that this whole Russian collusion thing was indeed a witch hunt. He believes that, that even though he came out uh, essentially okay in this, he wants to know who put him through it. He suspects it's Hillary Clinton and I'm sure he suspects a number of other people being involved in this as well. The whole Christopher Steele, the dossier thing, uh, he wants to know more about it. He wants to know the origins of it. He wants to know the extent of Spygate, who spied on him, why did somebody spy on him, how did somebody get the legal permission from the FISA court to spy on him, assuming all that happened. 
So, yes, Trump shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have brought it up in that manner. Trump maybe should have held a, a televised news conference, at least on cable, and called for a full and open investigation, clamored for a special prosecutor in the same manner that the Democrats begged and pleaded and moaned and bitched until they got a special prosecutor against Trump. This special prosecutor should cover the Hillary server scandal, should cover Hillary's, uh, or Hillary's uh, Russian reset and Bill's speech in Moscow, for which he made $500,000, should uh, cover the Uranium One situation, which Hillary Clinton approved, and should also cover the origins of this thing, the steel dot. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ossier, the, the whole origins of the Trump collusion investigation. We, we really don't know the full story on that, and if the Clintons have their way, because I think they're at the center of it, they're at the center of a lot of these type of things that are going on in the country today. If the Clintons are at the center of it, it's to know that. I want to know that, and the American people deserve to know that. Tyson wrote this, though, after saying that Trump shouldn't have, have brought that up in the call. Tyson wrote, two things can be true at the same time, that Trump did something wrong, and that Joe and Hunter Biden did something wrong as well. This seems to be lost on many in the media who are bending over backward to absolve the Bidens of wrongdoing. I've mentioned Jake Tapper and Aaron Burnett uh, because I do watch CNN during the breaks on Fox. I can't watch a lot of CNN because their, their panels are all, all filled with left-wing Trump haters and the same panels will go on sometimes all night, right up till you get to, to Cuomo's show, and you just can't you can't stay with it. It's boring television is what I'm trying to say. It's exceedingly boring television, and I just can't watch MSNBC. So I'm thinking mostly CNN on this little thing. And Thiessen is saying that too. For example, many in the media, he writes, state as fact that Biden's actions in encouraging the firing of Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor Shokin had nothing to do with his investigation of the natural gas company Burisma, which employed Hunter Biden as a board member. His firing was justified, they say, because the U.S. government, the International Monetary Fund, and other U.S. allies were demanding he be fired as well. Furthermore, as Jake Tapper of good old CNN insisted this weekend, according to the Ukrainians, that investigation into Burisma was dormant at the time. The Democrats trust the Ukrainians when it helps them. They don't trust the Ukrainians when it doesn't help them. And as Thiessen points out, a dormant investigation is not closed. It still existed. It could be, it could be investigated more at any time. Shokin, the prosecutor that Biden wanted fired, has sworn in affidavits that it was not closed. His successor said it was. Who is lying? Nobody knows for sure. Journalists don't get to choose which version they prefer, unless you happen to be Aaron Burnett, the, the, the queen of smarm and smirk on CNN. Thiessen says, It is uncontestably true that Joe Biden had a conflict of interest. His son took a position 
with a Ukrainian natural gas company, despite having no experience in Ukraine and no experience in the natural gas industry. Why would they do that? Why would the Ukrainians do that? Maybe because his father was vice president of the United States and Joe Biden had a role to play in the administration's relations with Ukraine? Well, of course it is. So at the very least, this whole thing is a conflict of interest. It's a big conflict of interest. And it cries out for an investigation. But as long as we have journalists like Jake Tapper and Aaron Burnett, they will continue to bend over backward for the Bidens. I'm Lynn Woolley, and this is Planet Logic. Folks, I don't like to depend on California for much of anything, but the state of California has done something very interesting that is going to cause a lot of chain reaction in the world of college sports. Tim Dahlberg has written about this. What has happened? is that the governor of California, Governor Gavin Newsom, who I typically think of as a left-wing zealot, but he has signed a bill. It takes effect in about four years. If it goes through as planned, athletes who attend college in California will be allowed to hire agents. They'll be allowed to sign endorsement deals to make a little bit of extra meal money. It may not happen exactly like that, but it is going to change the landscape. Now, this whole thing about endorsement deals and, uh, and having agents and all that, I'm not real big on that. I have a plan, and I've had a plan in the back of my head for a long time. I'd like to tell you what it is in just a moment. This is mostly for college football and college basketball at the highest levels. It may not affect lacrosse or, or some of the women's sports, college baseball. It might affect a little bit, but probably not near as much as football and basketball. One of the things that has bothered me in the world of college football for a long time is that you get a kid in there who's really good, a great running back, a great quarterback, or a, a great linebacker, whatever, and that kid leaves college early. And not only does it harm the team when he leaves college early, because he typically doesn't play his senior year, and sometimes not his junior or senior year, but that kid also leaves college without a college degree. And you go on into the pros and it doesn't work out, or you don't get drafted. I look at the case of Lake Seastrunk, who was, uh, went to the high school that I attended, Temple High School in Temple, Texas, became the all-time leading rusher, went off to Oregon. That didn't work out, transferred to Baylor and did very well at Baylor and then decided to get an agent and skip his senior year, and it effectively ended his football career. Had he played his senior year at Baylor, we don't know what would have happened. He would have gotten better. He might have, have been drafted earlier and been able to get a deal. But he went from team to team for a while, and it just nothing ever worked out. And I think it's in the best interest of these college athletes to play the whole four years without any doubt and to get a degree. So let's go back to Dahlberg's article and see exactly what happened. He says it's a big step toward fairness in a system that is in desperate need of change. I think this is the most promising development in the history of the movement. That's a quote from Ramogi Huma, a former UCLA football player and a longtime advocate of the college athletes having some rights. Uh, he's worked most of his adult life trying to push the idea that athletes in big sports ought to be compensated more than just a scholarship and room and board. Well, look, he's right about this because you look at the coaches, people like Tom Herman at the University of Texas, and most other big-time college coaches are making the neighborhood of $3 million, $4 million, uh, a year. And the players are out there. They're the ones that are getting, getting beat up and bruised and breaking their arms and legs and, and concussion chances and all that sort of thing, and they don't get anything but a scholarship and a little bit of room and board. So the former UCLA backup linebacker started the National College Players Association 
1997, after becoming incensed that a teammate was suspended for accepting some groceries when he was broke and hungry. Yeah, I've seen this happen. And these, some of these are kids from, from the, the urban areas of the United States who may have grown up without a father. Uh, just a little bit of groceries means a lot to them. They'd like to send something back to help their moms. And I've always thought they ought to be able to make some of that money. Colleges like Oklahoma, UT, Alabama, uh, Michigan, UCLA and Southern Cal that play in these big stadia that seed 80,000 to 100,000 and even more are making so much money. They fill up those stadia and think every ticket probably costs $75 or more. The coaches are making in the neighborhood of $4 million a year. The players are beating themselves up out on the field and they're under all these strict rules and regulations. And why? Because that's the way the NCAA wants it to be. So there was a lawsuit the California bill came five years after UCLA basketball star Ed O'Bannon won what was supposed to be a landmark federal antitrust case against the NCAA, but it, it proved to not amount to much later on. It did force schools to begin providing more spending money to scholarship athletes. Big Ten Commissioner Jim Delaney in that courtroom, in that case, suggested that the Rose Bowl would not be played because the playing field wouldn't be level if one school paid players and another didn't. Various other school administrators testified that people would stop watching college sports if they knew that the players were getting paid. That, of course, is baloney. Nonsense then and nonsense now. There's nothing remotely amateur, Dahlberg writes, about college athletics at the highest level. He's right about that. So he says the ink was barely dry on Newsom's signatures when the Pac-12 conference issued a statement claiming California schools and female athletes specifically would be harmed if the bill went into effect as planned. There's time to fix any problems with this bill, and I don't like the California bill at all as it's written. But there's going to be other states looking at this. South Carolina already is. That's going to put additional pressure on the NCAA, uh, which has already lost the argument in the court of public opinion, according to Dahlberg. The NCAA is going to get on board or be plunged into irrelevance, according to Huma. And I think that uh, this is a good thing in a couple of ways. Now, I mentioned I had an idea about how this would work, and it would probably be all right in basketball as well, but I'm a college football follower, and so I have, I have big-time college football in mind when I'm saying this. College football coaches make as much as $5 million a year in some cases, plus perks. You take some of that money, and you pay I don't know, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a year to some of the top players. Maybe uh, it depends on how much playing time you get, and if you play less, maybe you get fifteen thousand or ten thousand or five thousand. But everybody that makes a team would get something. Half of that money would then go into a trust fund. They would get the other half now paid out as a salary or as a stipend, however you, whatever you want to call it. But to do this, these players would be recruited by the colleges. And the, the, the amounts of money would already be set. It would, it would depend on their playing time, as I said. The players that, that are key, the, the top quarterbacks, the top running backs, the top defensive linemen uh, who play most of the games all season and who bring in all those wins would make a little bit more. But in the recruiting process, when a player says, yes, I want to go to X college, let's just say Baylor, for example, then Matt Rule and his people would sit down and, and present them with a contract. The contract would stipulate two things. Number one, 
that they would adhere to the terms of the contract, which would cover all of this stuff. They would make their money based on how much they play. They would know what the sliding scale is. And a a starting player, let's say, would make $25,000 a year. $30,000 a year wouldn't be too much. Uh, If that player is injured, then that player would continue to make that money, and then the person that replaces him would also make that money until that first player got well and got back into the starting lineup. Now, in return for this, the player agrees to play the full four years of eligibility. So the colleges are signing these kids and can know that they're going to have them playing football for four years. The other thing these kids have to agree to is to get a degree. And the colleges could specify it can't be in basket weaving, but it could be in PE. It could be in things, uh, coaching or something that these kids, some of them want to do. That's fine. So if the player finishes the four years, and by the way, this would guarantee no red shirts except for injury. If the player completes the four years, if the player has a valid degree, then the other half of that salary is released upon graduation in a lump sum. I think it's a great plan. There's no leaving early for the NFL, no red shirting except for injury. It's a win-win for everybody, and I think that the coaches make enough money that uh, you could take a million dollars a year off their salaries, and they're still multimillionaires, and the players deserve some of that money. So no, the California bill is not a good one, but this idea is far better. I'm Lynn Woolley, and this is Planet Logic. Be logical, everybody. Take a stand for this great country, and God bless President Trump. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.